Our scripture is from Luke chapter 2, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 20. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The word of the Lord. Hopefully I don't look too ghastly up here under these lights. We figured it'd be better than being a shadow of myself. Thank you for being here tonight. Appreciate especially those of you who are out of town or with family or friends. Thank you for spending part of your Christmas time with us here. I want to take you back about 55 years or so to my household. This will be 1962. And I'm the really, really cute one. I'm the youngest of four. Uh, so you can see, for those of you who know my older brother, Tad, in the upper left, I can show you the full picture if you want to see. But um, this is our first Christmas in our new home in Fairfax. And um, we were, you know, typical 1960s family. This is, you know, John F. Kennedy is president. And we were trying to at the moon, I think, and it was a very, seemed like a different world. But for me, something profound happened. Thanks, John. Something happened that day, that year, where my parents had recently become followers of Jesus Christ. And so we still had a mountain of presence under our tree. 
But that year, my dad said, before we do anything with this mountain of presence, we're going to read that story that you just heard from Luke 2, those familiar words that were new to me then as a young boy. And then he said, we're going to read this story and we're going to sing a Christmas carol and then you can attack the presence. And so we did that. And I guess for a little boy, for a young boy, I I remember year after year, that was our practice. And uh, every year, the story seemed to grow longer until it was like war and peace, because the power of the presence was attracting me like a moth to a flame. I saw the, the whammo balls and the uh, Schwinn, you know, stingray with the banana seat there, and I was having to stay still and listen to some story that seemed to me kind of irrelevant to my life. It was interesting, but not particularly life-changing. Fast forward now 24 years. I'd heard the story many times. At some point later in high school, I'd trusted in Jesus Christ. I'd come to believe that what he said about himself was true. But a number of years later, even though that was true and that I had become a Christian, I was at the lowest point in my life. I felt like a colossal failure. I felt ashamed of where I was in life. Though I had a good job and I could afford the toys and any toys and presents I wanted to buy for myself, I found myself isolated and disconnected. And pretty messed up. And at that point, I had family and friends around me, but mostly they fell into one of two categories. One, they wanted to offer me advice and counsel, which was wise, but it was from a distance, what I should have done or what I should be doing at that time. Or the other was was sympathy, but it was sympathy from a distance, And I'm sure I was in a place in life when I was pushing people away. But though I was a Christian, it had really been the first time in my life where I knew how desperately I needed saving. And into that, I was living in a kind of a small basement apartment, dark, no light, kind of dirty. It was just not a great situation. And at that time, somebody invited me to come into their world and they had come in, me to come into their world and they entered into my world. And rather than advice, what I got was their presence for about three or four years. I got just to be part of their family, part of their community, and they invited me in. With all the shame and the disconnect I felt, it didn't seem to bother me when I was in their presence because it wasn't no longer the power of of presence with a T. It was now the power of presence with a C that was beginning to transform my world. And after about three years or so, I began to see that the healing power of being in the presence of someone who stood not to condemn me nor to accept my sin, 
but simply to challenge and reflect to me what God's word was to me was transformative in my life. And what had been doctrine, what had simply been head knowledge, became salvation heart knowledge, that the need was met as someone represented Christ to me. Yes, I'd been a Christian before. I think if I died, I would have gone to heaven. But the reality understanding of grace was transformative. This morning, we looked at heaven's perspective on Christmas from the first chapter of the Gospel of John, where it says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That same writer of the Gospel also wrote a few letters. Listen to these first verses of the first letter of John, called 1 John, and hear the echoes of the Gospel in it. This is starting at 1 John 1.1. This is the Word of the Lord. That which was from the beginning which we've heard, we've seen with our eyes, we've looked upon, we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made real. We've manifested it. We've seen it. And now we can testify to it and proclaim to you eternal life. It's that which we've seen and we've heard that we also proclaim to you. The miracle of the incarnation, the story tonight, this great miracle is that Jesus became like you and like me. That God himself in the person of his son became flesh. Not only did he become flesh, but he dwelt among us. He lived with us in order to reflect and show us what God was like. In that hymn we sang, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, there's a line in it that says, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hidden in the flesh of Jesus Christ, we see the fullness of God. Well, what does that mean for you and for me? Let me offer you just a couple of things is that the way I got to know the grace of God was realizing my desperate need of a Savior. And if you don't truly need Jesus in your life, if you don't truly need a Savior, if if you're fine and self-sufficient, that's fine, but the gospel is for those who know they need different kind of news. Because the Bible teaches that this life isn't all there is and that this life is difficult sometimes and that our position is desperate. I didn't feel that way, frankly, for 25 years of my life, but baby, when it hit, it hit hard. And in my desperation, the God that I knew up here became the God who was real in here And then became the God who came out of me because, as John said, what I had seen and heard and known, I was able to proclaim. Number two, it was manifest to me by other Christians who demonstrated the love of Christ in reality. We all sometimes need Jesus with with flesh on. We can all say to our kids at night, you know, 
God's with you, honey. Just it's okay to be in the dark alone. And mom and I are going to go over here and God will be with you. And you know what your kids always say, right? I need the God I can see. We all do. Jesus Christ became the God we could see. He became the God who is knowable and vulnerable. To see God and know God is incredibly challenging because he's so great and he's so glorious. And if we looked at God himself, the Bible says people would just burn up. He's so amazing and huge. How many of y'all saw the eclipse when it came, the whatever, a few few months ago, right? Well, what, would, what did they tell us 12,000 times before about looking at the sun, right? Don't do it. What did, what did we all do, right? We all bought those silly little glasses, didn't we? If you were like me, we were on the way to Williamsburg, and we pulled over, and some of y'all went all the way down to the, the whatever that area is and got up there, but don't look right at it. We look at a filter, in order to see the amazingness, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, we look at Jesus and not we're not burned up, we're not destroyed, we're drawn. Jesus Christ is incredibly attractive and incredibly offensive. There's no other way around it. He makes claims that are exclusive about his own person, being the Son of God. All I can tell you is, from my own life, is that when I stopped being offended by it and knew that I needed something, the offense went away and the attraction stayed, and Jesus is the most compelling, attractive person I've ever encountered. As we look at Christmas, as we look at the, the message, as we think about what he came to do for us, let me just ask you to consider, if you haven't, if it's real and if it's true that God came in human form, please, please don't ignore it. If you decide you just can't buy it, I understand that. But this is the most compelling claim. Easter hinges upon Christmas. The resurrection and the incarnation are two parts of the same coin. It's life-changing. Not to know about it, but to experience it. And tomorrow as you open presents, I pray that you know the presence and the power of that presence that will change. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you that you came to be touched, to be seen, to be heard. You invited people to touch the wounds in your side when you were on earth, that the people who wrote the scriptures describe how much they were impacted by what they saw, heard, felt. 
Lord, while we don't see you in the same way, Father, we know you by your Spirit, and we see you in one another, Lord, as we see the Spirit of Christ continuing to live. We ask you, Lord God, to make yourself real and known to us, even as you did when you were walking on earth, Lord, we ask you to make it real. I pray today, Lord, for, for people who are feeling depressed, fearful, doubting that you could really be there, questioning, could there be this God? I ask that you would make yourself known. Lord, I ask that you would do in us what we can't do for ourselves to make our need for you known. Create in us the hunger and thirst for more because we know we were created for more than this life. Thank you for the joy of being alive. Thank you for the opportunities that you give us to serve you, love you, and experience you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.